This is Steady Habits, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks so much for joining us. This is where we look at how things work in the land of steady habits, how they don't work, and how to make them work just a little bit better. One of our first podcasts, way back before the pandemic hit, was with Connecticut Education Commissioner Miguel Cardona. Among the exchanges that didn't make its way into our episode was this. How do you think the state does in uh, educating students for whom English is not their primary language? Not good enough. Not good enough. We have to focus on that more. I believe, John, firmly, every teacher is an English learner teacher. And we have to approach teacher preparation, professional learning opportunities for teachers, systems thinking to promote the idea that every teacher is a second language learner teacher. Do we not have enough people who are trained to do the work as, as teachers of English as a, as a second language? That is a shortage area. It, it always has been. When I was a building principal, hiring bilingual education teachers was a challenge. Um, they're very gifted teachers, and it's, it's a challenge to find uh, teachers to come into that profession. But I think what we need to do is also make that a profession or uh, a pathway for teachers to consider, even if they're mid-career, try this. You know, it's, a, it's a great thing to do. It's, it's amazing the growth these students make when they learn English and they're able to build their skill set, not only the language development, but the cultural uh, acculturation of students when they're bicultural. I think that's that's a part that we don't really talk about a lot, but it's pretty powerful when you have students that can navigate two different cultures being successful. It's an increasingly important question. English language learners make up a large and growing piece of our education system. The achievement gaps between them and other students are huge, and like much of the state, the system for teaching them is fractured. The Mirror's Jacqueline Rabe Thomas has been investigating this achievement gap and how the state approaches teaching English language learners. Her reporting started before the pandemic, and as she tells us, the disrupted school year and distance learning only made it more difficult for these students. Jacqueline Rabe Thomas, welcome back to Steady Habits. I appreciate you being here. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. You've been taking a look at this gap for English language learners in Connecticut schools for quite some time. And, and as you say in your story, this is a story that you were reporting before the COVID-19 crisis hit. We'll get in just a moment to how COVID has affected this group of students, but maybe you can set up broadly for us where you see the, the gaps, what the problems are for Connecticut and its ability to teach kids who, who don't have English as a first language. Sure. So Connecticut for long has had some of the largest in the nation achievement gaps between students from various backgrounds. English language learners, those who speak and write English at minimal proficient levels, they are no exception. They also happen to make up a significant portion of Connecticut's school age population. So they're one out of every 12 students. It's a quickly escalating population in the state of Connecticut, if not the fastest growing population. And so, you know, over the years I've, I've dove into, okay, well, what are we doing for these students? And year after year, it turns out the outcomes are not really improving very much. So for example, one of the things that really stands out the most for me is that we have this benchmark of looking at how long it takes for someone to 
be able to become proficient in English. And all the, and so all the research shows that, you know, it's you can't just snap your fingers and learn English in one year. It's, you know, a five to seven year time frame. And so looking at, you know, how how many of our students are on pace to actually learn English over over five years, which the state does through a growth metric, you find quickly that only one out of every three English language learners in the state of Connecticut are actually on pace to learn English within five years. And so in, in some districts, it's even worse. In Bridgeport, um, it's like one in every seven or one in every eight. So certain districts are doing a lot better at this than others. Um, Bridgeport is sort of the epicenter of really struggling to get its English language learners proficient in English. What do we know about those disparities, about why some towns might be doing better than others? So here's the problem. The state hasn't really done a deep dive into what methods work the best. So, you know, they they know from research and their guidance to districts shows hey, here's the approach that works best. You should be doing this, which is the dual language model. And, I, and I'm happy to speak about what that looks like. Um, but there's really no oversight or guidance or incentives to help districts get to that model and implement that model, um, either through financial means or through helping sort of clear bureaucratic obstacles that are making it hard to have the teachers to teach a dual language model or having the financial resources to be able to sort of do a wholesale shift on sort of the way that you're, you're teaching students. So the best way that I can explain that is a dual language model essentially is you're teaching students half the day in English and the other half of the day in their native language. Um, If you're doing that model, that means you also need books in the other language. You also need teaching equipment and supplies in the other other language. Um, You also need a teaching workforce who knows how to speak that other language. And so um, our state's colleges, as well as private colleges, are graduating maybe two dozen teachers a year who are able to teach in another language, in a foreign language, um, to our students. And so there's tons of research that shows embracing a student's native language is actually a really effective model, not only for sort of someone's psyche to understand like, hey, your language and your culture is valued here in this school, um, but also so that they're not getting behind in social studies or science because they don't understand the English that it's being taught in. So it's a workforce issue. We're not turning out enough teachers who are actually able to teach in both languages, but it also sounds as though it's it's an economic issue because it's going to require a different type of teaching. It's going to require a different uh, type of of textbook. Are those really the the key issues here, or is there something different? Do do people in the education system actually believe that we shouldn't be teaching in this model for some reason? So. Connecticut is one of the few states that has a state law that requires bilingual education. And so bilingual education um, for some is sort of the gold standard. It says this is, you know, we should be embracing other people's language. It's bilingual education. Um, While others have sort of described it as a dumping ground of sort of this is where we put all the kids who can't speak our language and, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Um, and and there hasn't really been to date a lot of state oversight of the models that the individual districts are actually embracing and whether they're doing them with fidelity. So you leave the state really open and the districts really open to criticism about sort of the quality of these programs. The state l- law requires that 
yes, their native language be embraced, um, but that they quickly move to teaching in English primarily um, within the school year. So it's not a long-term embracing the student's other language and their primary language, as the research shows, is the most effective. It's a, here, we're going to start off with this language and quickly move to the other. And, and the state's bilingual education law also has a huge loophole. If we are not able to find the workforce, then there's a loophole um, that you don't need to provide the bilingual education because you're not able to find the teachers. <sighs> So where do you see the hang-up here right now? Is it about state funding? Is the hang-up happening, uh, Jackie, at the, at the local town level? In other states, they have found that it's also a really great way to get diversity into your classroom. So it's not just like a dumping ground of where all the non-English speakers are put and they learn half the day in English and half the day in Spanish. It also entices, you know, middle-class white families who want their kids to learn another language for economic reasons in the workforce. Can you imagine what that does to your college applications perspectives or to your um, job perspectives if you now speak another language? It's attractive as well as it embraces uh, someone's culture. I, and I think that that's so important. I mean, I think Commissioner Cardona and many other educators I've spoken with over the years have said the same thing, which is if you are thinking about it from the standpoint of English language learners being some sort of a drag on the system and we need to get them up to speed in the primary language of America, that is a, is a very negative framing. But if you frame it as here are people who, if we're able to, to teach them English over the course of a few short years, these are people who have very strong language skills in multiple languages. That's exactly the sort of thing that an awful lot of kids at the very best high schools, including private schools across Connecticut, really want to aspire to. This is this should be an advantage to have multiple language skills. Right. It, it's sort of an asset mentality versus seeing it as a deficit of, you know, you know, that foreign language that, you know, drop it as quickly as possible and assimilate into learning English and speaking English because that's what's that, that's what matters um, is sort of the mentality that too many districts currently have um, instead of a mentality of, hey, let's embrace your language and your culture um, and invite you and your parents. Not only does that make it more inviting for a student in their school, but it also is what research show is shows is the best way to learn another language. Um, and, and not to mention, there's also long-term effects for cognitive uh, abilities as well. There's research that shows people who have are dual language, they're less likely to have dementia and Alzheimer's when they're older as well for cognitive um, sort of flexing your, your gray muscle, et cetera. So, uh, I mean, there's just so many benefits to having multi-languages. So it, the sooner that we as a country and, a, and as a school system sort of see it as an asset, I think um, we'll be aligning with what research shows. So a last thing for you, Jackie, but before I let you go, obviously all of education has changed in just the course of the last couple of months. We're still not entirely sure what education in the K through 12 system in Connecticut is going to look like this fall. How has this particular problem been exacerbated by COVID-19? English learners, if you look at the demographics of the families, where they come from, they they also happen to be from lower socioeconomic class of individuals. So just accessing technology is a problem. Um, and then compound that with 
too often the language that is being offered to them and their parents to help navigate online learning is in English. So as a parent myself, you know, I spent an incredible amount of time helping my son navigate going to school online. I can't imagine. It was already hard enough for me. Now imagine if that was my second language was English trying to navigate it. Um, So some districts, to be sure, have helped with that and have provided platforms in other languages or provided direct support from their English language learner support staff. Um, But there's still a lot of gaps that are existing that are more frequent than not. Jacqueline Rabe Thomas covers education for the Connecticut Mirror. Jackie, it's always good to talk with you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's Steady Habits. You can read Jackie's story and all of her education reporting at ctmirror.org. You can also join us for an online roundtable coffee conversation about how COVID has interrupted education and what we're doing about it. On Tuesday morning, July 28th, you can look for more information at ctmirror.org. Thanks to George Mastrianis and Dave Swanson for the steady beats that they recorded at Legend Studios in Avon, Connecticut. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you soon.